This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we venture further into our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the fourth episode of season two. We're here. I don't know if there's anything to say. The perfect opportunity, apparently. And I, I'm I'm thoroughly curious um, with this episode, Brent, what you're going to do because the episode starts with the credits. So how will you do the spoiler horn? I, I'm I'm just waiting to see what your plan is here. Oh, it doesn't start with the credits. That was the last episode. Oh, that was the last episode. How dare I forget these things? Am I even have? <laughs> do I even have the right notes up? Goodness gracious! Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The three and the four. You know. The, oh, this uh, has a great opening scene. I forgot about that. All right, I, I'll quit talking now. And let you run the show because apparently uh, <laughs> I am incompetent at doing this. Okay, well, spoiler horn. It is then. So, yeah, so it starts with um, this 10-minute montage scene um, with no dialogue. And uh, apparently some people did not get it um, when when they originally aired it. And Dallas was fielding comments in the live stream. Hey, I'm not hearing them talk. Is, some, is something wrong? Blah, blah, blah. Which, man, I mean, it is a 10-minute scene. So I I kind of get it. But I just think back to when The Last Jedi was in theaters and after opening weekend, all of the movie theaters had to put up signs warning people that there's a single shot for like a couple of seconds in the middle of the movie where there's no sound at all, which is an incredible, incredible shot. I think it might be one of the best shots yep. of all time in yep. Star Wars. Yep. And I'm like, how... like how do you even have the time to think that something is wrong before that shot is over? Uh. Yep. <laughs> people. So Brent Billings, anyway, people art. It's art. <laughs> it's tough. I, I know I don't get a lot of art, but it's art anyway. Um, uh, art so. meets the human spirit. That's what it yeah, is. I guess <laughs> art meets our modern culture where everything is a thousand miles per hour. All the time. There's no silence. There's no solitude. There's no breaks in the noise. Anyway. I did love in that scene that we're referring to, by the way, um, I won't reference it because it would be a spoiler, but the presentation of the knife as it will become relevant later in the season was fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I did love that very much. I did, obviously didn't catch that the first time because I didn't know it was coming, but on yep, the second yep. watch, I was like, oh, it's so great. <laughs> So, uh, quick summary, we see this boy climbing a tree, he falls out of the tree, he's apparently paralyzed, his parents take him to, um, initially to a doctor to verify, you know, what's going on, and then they take him to some sort of healing person who's like, I don't know, doing a bunch of stuff that apparently doesn't work, um, because you see him again in the same condition, and then he watches his mom die in childbirth, and then you see him caring for his baby brother. Uh, eventually a new mom comes into the picture. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we actually really see much of her again after that initial entry. No. Nope. Um, but uh, this guy is just watching his brother growing up. He's playing with others. Um, but we do see the younger brother like include his older brother. Um, and so they just have this great relationship. And then one day uh, he wakes up and his younger brother has disappeared, left a note. 
says he's gone off to become a zealot. Can you can you see can you see that in the montage? You don't no, you don't see you, that originally. You, yeah, you don't know that okay. until later. Okay. Um, but you see him. Um, you see the younger brother talking with some people. That's where that exchange happens. Um, that is that is the knife. Um, and you see you see them watching uh, some Roman soldiers beating up on some people like in the streets um, for who knows whatever reason. Um, but anyway, so the older brother ends up at the pool of Bethesda and, um, you see the water stirring up in, in, uh, in the way that they've chosen to portray it. And, uh, there's total chaos as everyone is jumping in. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> if they, if they actually believed that the first person into the water is the one who gets healed, like there are some people jumping in way, way later than that. Um, so that's kind of funny. But then, uh, so then you see the younger brother and he's training with the zealots. Again, we don't actually know that these are the zealots yet, but he's, um, he's going through all these drills and then you just see cycling back and forth between scenes of, uh, the older brother being too late getting into the pool and then back to the zealot training. You see both of them growing older and, uh, and you can tell that some time has been passing. Yeah, and the knife presentation that I was talking about is at the very end of that, where he's finally like initiated as a zealot. And there's this oh. scene where they give him very formally his Sikar dagger. Right. Um, and and that was the part that I thought, oh, how wonderful. Yes. I guess I guess I don't know for sure. Then I was thinking you were talking about that that scene where he was talking to the like three other guys in that market, and they were handing him. Yeah. Like a folded up piece of cloth. Yeah. I knew when you, yeah. When you mentioned that, I was like, oh yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, but that wasn't what I was thinking about. Nope. Okay. Well, who knows? Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about at this point, um, the pool as far as like how it is stirred up and how that's portrayed, but that was, uh, uh, definitely, um, a portrayal that would lean towards the interpretation that we've talked about. I mean, if you, if you didn't know, and even later in the episode, Jesus will hint at, you know, one day they'll figure it out and they'll tell everybody. Um, and I'm not even sure. I wouldn't really quote me with, I don't have a source to quote on that. I just have this uh, vague but clear memory. Is that, does that make sense? Vague but clear? Um, mm-hmm. uh, memory of being taught that. So, I mean, don't quote me without doing a little bit more research on that. But that's my understanding of what was happening at the pool. And if if that's the case, then this bubbling like, I'm sure if you didn't know that, you were like, oh, man, that's how they're going to portray the pool. And yet, historically speaking, if this theory we've espoused is correct, then that would be a, a great, like, that's the image that I I imagined in my head even before The Chosen aired. So I really like that. Now, the pool itself is, there's there is a bunch of debate about the Pool of Bethesda and whether it's the Pool of Bethesda or is it the Pool of Bethsaida or is it, like, which pool is it? And there's a huge debate and scholarship of that. I think that debate has cooled down quite a bit of recent when they just continue to do more archaeological digs at what's, you know, currently today, the pool of Bethesda. Um, But that I feel like the pool that's represented there would not at all be, I mean, there could be something I'm not aware of. And they may be taking the position that it's not, it's not the pool of Bethesda. I'm not necessarily sure. Everything else that's going to happen in the episode is perfect. Um, in my mind, but, uh, the shape of the pool, the, the aesthetics of the pool, like what it, what it looks like. And the, it, it would have just been a much larger, we're going to try to find, I'm pretty sure I have a diagram buried somewhere. We're going to try to find an artist's, um, 
do you call it rendition, an artist depiction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, either way. Of of what the Pool of Bethesda looked like. It talks about five covered colonnades, which I feel like are missing in the um, – John mentions that directly. I feel like it's missing in the Chosen episode. But um, and, and we kind of found a pool that had those five covered colonnades. It's right in the right spot. It's the Pool of Bethesda. It's exactly what it should be. So we'll try to get a – uh, an image, a depiction of what that pool could have, should have maybe looked like. But that was my only issue with that. I, I, everything else I love about how they've um, depicted that. And, and all the other comments throughout the rest of the episode are going to be so spot on, but I will gush over those later. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm assuming that the, that the scale of the pool is um, just a production or a budget sort of reality and yeah. not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's hard to say. Um but yeah, we we did talk about this story. I mean, just we're we're in this kind of weird spot where uh, the part of the chosen that we're going through, and we didn't really map this out specifically to have this happen. But just a few episodes ago, in two sixty one, we talked about this story uh, with Kevin Chandler. And did, have we talked about this story elsewhere in the podcast, or am I just remembering uh, just side conversations? I think you're remembering the trip. Oh, from the trip. Yeah, no, I think you remember. I mean, we visit this site on the trip. Great, it's Tomo. true. Come, yeah. come join us. Okay. I'll take you right there. But uh, yeah, and um, yep, I think that might be it. it's in your memory. Yeah, it's my memory is you know it's hard to keep things straight sometimes you know. <laughs> so anyway, after the montage, we do have the credits at this point. Then coming out of there, uh, we see this, um, st- what, what we learn shortly um, to be a staged zealot drill. Um, we, see, uh, we see that the younger brother turns out to be Simon, um, Simon the Zealot. And I will, uh, the, um, in the live stream, uh, they're referring him to him as Simon Z, uh, which I did not do in my notes, but uh, I'll try to make a distinction between him and Simon Peter, um, whose name has not changed yet. So I've been trying to respect that and call him Simon at this point, but I've, I've noticed I've done a good job with that. I have not. And I'm just like, Peter, 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 Peter. So I'm glad you've been much more committed than me. (laughs) Well, we'll see. I may have to, I may have to diverge from that because this could get confusing. Um, so then we, we see Atticus, uh, is watching, this whole thing happened from above in the bushes. And, uh, I realized the first time around, I was like, I don't not understand. Like this guy seems sort of familiar. I realized this time that his voice reminds me a little bit of Mark Driscoll, (laughs) 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 which is, (laughs) I don't know what that says, but (laughs) I think that's what, I think that's what's going through my mind. So I don't know if anyone else thinks that. How dare you? Please, please let me know if that's what, if if anyone else is thinking that, or if I'm just crazy. Um, so then we see, uh, two men discussing this plot and, um, one of them is talking about Simon. We learned that he's been in training for three years and they have this plot to kill a Roman magistrate. Um, and they're hoping that that will lead to problems and hopefully an arrest of Caiaphas. Um, not a whole lot of talk about him, but just, you know, dropping that little seed of, of Caiaphas and, and what he, what his influence is in the area. Um, and then we see the disciples building a shelter for the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. A sukkah. They're building a sukkah. A sukkah. There you go. 
Um, and Mary says that, uh, she's never been to Jerusalem, um, for whatever reason, uh, she kind of explains that. And Matthew is learning about the festivals. And, um, I would, I would imagine that Matthew knows like some things about it, but as we saw previously, like he didn't really have any friends. Like he doesn't, he doesn't participate with his family or, or anyone when, when these festivals happen. And so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of details that he does not know about. So, which is good because then we get to learn too. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. A little bit later in that episode when, uh, Mary has her comment about, you know, why don't, why is it only the men that go for these festivals three times a year? And, um, Simon, I'll say Simon, Simon, Peter, (laughs) Simon P. He, he responds, uh, with a very contextually correct. And I, um, and a little bit of like, maybe, maybe a little bit of glossy, arrogant. I know the answers kind of know it all, but, but also like, Hey, women aren't prohibited either. So, and that that's very true. Like women were not prohibited from making the journey. Like there were some kind of just general traditional cultural assumptions about the things that needed to be taken care of at the household and the safety of the journey. Like he's absolutely correct. And I appreciate that they put that line in there because like, man, if you had the opportunity, if you had the right circumstances, the situation, it wasn't that you weren't allowed, you could come. And, uh, and that was cool that they pointed that out. Cause that would be very true. But I like that. I like that. They're not uh, missing opportunities to talk about those dynamics. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, so next up we see Simon meeting with that man from earlier, uh, discussing the plot against the magistrate, um, and goes over the, the whole deal with him. And, uh, there's, there's a little bit of a like twinge where he says, um, uh, that they'll meet up, Simon will meet up with his brother in Jerusalem. And he's like, my brother, what? Uh, and, and he's just talking about another zealot as a brother. Right. Right. Yep. But, uh, you see that first, first little hint where he's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta deal with this now. Um, but ultimately Simon's told like, if you either carry this order out as we've described it to you or never come back here. Um, so then he's exiting the building and there's a a group of zealots, uh, in a room reciting Zephaniah three. And, uh, I was looking up what the, the reference was. Um, and I'm reading on, I'm like, Oh my gosh, is the chosen doing a remez? Well, it turns out later in the episode, they actually, (laughs) they actually go on with the text and it's like, okay. Uh, but I was like, man, if they're actually doing this as a remez, I was like, that's so cool. Um, yeah. uh, but alas, you'll get the, you'll get the rest of the text later. Um, so then we see Shmuel, um, in Jerusalem, he's wandering around the market. Uh, he's got, uh, another Pharisee with him named Yanni, uh, who I believe will be showing up more often. And, uh, they're looking for a place for him to set up and and preach uh, about false prophecy, and uh, Yanni uh, says a blessing over him, and Shmuel stops him. He's like, "Well, wait a second. That's the that's the blessing for life threatening situations." And the guy's like, "You'll be fine. I'm gonna go get some breakfast." And so he walks off. <laughs> yeah, I did love that. It was like there was a Pharisee that obviously is a part of the program, but also just has. I wouldn't call it humility. I don't know what the word is, but just more, just, uh, he, just more robust authenticity to what things are and what things are. And you're seeing Shmuel's like true colors come out. Like yeah, he's now able to fly on his own. He's wanting to, that's not the tone he wants to take. That's not what he wants to do. He wants to start building this, 
Uh, he's got a platform to build and a message he's trying to spread about false teachers that we saw in season one. But um, and you know, as I'm sitting here, by the way, your comment on Remezes to give to give the chosen credit, I feel like they also do a ton of that. I pick up on a ton of those little nuggets, and I'm totally surprised because they happen frequently enough that they can't be. Like every now and then you're like, was that just a coincidence or did they just get lucky? But it's it's literally designed and dropped in there. So I, I do appreciate all the little just side con- – I mean, I don't know if they're necessarily remezim, but the, there is just a lot of really textual just drop-ins all throughout these episodes. And it's been really cool to see that. They're, they're very aware of that. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever watched The Wire, Marty, but um, oh, Dallas no. meant uh, – you have not. I have not. Yeah, I haven't either. I always hear about it. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can't necessarily recommend it. It's an HBO show, so I'd imagine that it's probably not the cleanest show. Well, that explains why I haven't seen it. I, I don't know, though. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> Dallas mentioned that as he was developing some of the ideas for the Chosen, he was watching through that show. Oh, and okay. a lot of the like backroom dealing stuff that you see among sure. the Pharisees, among uh-huh. the Zealots, among the uh-huh. you know all the different religious and political leaders um, have been influenced by that show. So I thought that was interesting. Oh, very interesting. I can see that. Okay, cool. So uh, then we see that the older brother from our opening scene is his name is Jesse. He's still at the pool at this point. Um, you know, another scene of him being too late to get in. He's like down on the third step up. And I'm, I'm thinking like, why is he not just like, like toes hovering above the water? But I mean, right, not sure. toes necessarily, yep. I guess it would probably be his hands, but um, yeah. Like, why is he, why is he, he's definitely closer than he has been previously, but why is he not just like right there? I don't know. Um, but another man, he, Jesse's kind of like giving up. He's like, I'm never going to make it. And, and the other guy comes up to me. He's like, well, why are you even still here? Like, if you don't have any hope, then what is the point? And he's like, I don't know. Um, so then we see Simon arriving at Jerusalem and he's walking past several men being crucified and, uh, he's getting screened as he's going into the city and asks about the crime of the man being crucified. And he's like, oh, he's being crucified for murder. It's like, okay, okay. So yeah, not quite the word I don't think they would have used. Cause that was, I mean, crucifixion was used very publicly to make an absolute point. I think they would have said terrorism or insurgents or whatever you, I mean, I'm sure they would have sure. maybe used different words, but not just the crime of murder. Like that doesn't get you crucified, but a very particular a very particular kind of rebellion meant right. for punks like you. Not that the soldier knows us at this point, but <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, so we see Atticus sneaking around a little bit. Some Roman soldiers take notice of him and uh, they mention he's part of the cohort Urbane, uh, which I did not look up, but uh, I assume that is some kind of historical Roman thing. Yeah. I was, I was fascinated the first time I watched this episode and didn't know about uh, some of these ideas, but yep. Even I'm learning things historically from the chosen. How about that? I I forgot to look into it, so uh, people can check that out if they're interested. Um, then we see Thomas and Nathaniel come from the market. They find Shmuel preaching, and uh, he's doing his false prophecy thing. Matthew comes around the other corner and finds them, and he's like, "Hey, this Shmuel guy, he's he's uh, not friendly to us." And uh, uh, what is it? Nathaniel says something about the odds of running into him here. And uh, both Thomas and Matthew 
are calculating in their heads the odds. And uh, well, before that, it gives them a hard. They're talking about how much they despise Matthew and Nathaniel's like, well, you're kind of the same person. To which, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see Thomas take this deep offense to how dare you, and so, so that was great when he. <laughs> Starts doing the same thing. Yeah. So Nathaniel's ribbing him for that. It's pretty, yeah, it's great. So then, uh, so then we, we see Simon and he's being followed by Atticus. He enters a place and Atticus is looking around, notices that there's the light that Simon was carrying is, um, wandering around under the street in a tunnel or a sewer or something. And, uh, then, then we see Simon being briefed on the magistrate's movements and what resources they have and everything else. And then he leaves. They've done a good job depicting the zealots, I feel like. Um, especially this episode, maybe better than any others for obvious reasons. But just did a great job depicting who they were, the kind of training and or, you know, whatever you want to call those, you know, compounds or villages that they're from. Yeah, this really, they, they depicted that well. Yeah, so then Nathaniel is uh, is back at the, um, the campsite or whatever where they're setting up their sukkah. And he's advising the other disciples on how to construct it, uh, doing his architecture thing. And then we see Simon getting his things into place, setting up uh, all the things he needs for his diversion. And then we're back to the disciples and they celebrate finishing the construction of their sukkah. And they begin Shabbat. And uh, this is another... And I was... I guess I didn't mention this earlier. I was watching the... um, reaction episode um that they've got on the chosen youtube channel where dallas is talking about this episode and he said that um when they set this up they built three of those booths but then there's a wide shot of the scene and there's dozens of these sukkas all over the place um, which they added later with visual effects and i'm like ah, such a perfect use of visual effects just like subtle like adds to the story and their idea was like, we want to show that like Jesus is not doing this weird thing. Like literally everybody's doing this. Everybody's in these booths. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so then Matthew's continuing to learn about the meaning of Sukkot and, um, Jesus makes a comment to Nathaniel that the, the beauty of the booth is itself an act of worship, which I thought was a, a great, um, a great line. I don't know if they're specifically calling back to, uh, Exodus 31, where the the guys building the tabernacle are filled with the spirit. Ooh, ooh, yeah, good grab. Brent Billings, yeah, bringing the text. I love that <laughs> line, too. I, I thought that was, I mean, that's going to be right down Impact Sally, too. There's going to come a day where we're going to talk about Bema and Impact. We're going to do an episode on the sanctity of vocation and this idea of the things that we do vocationally. Um being about the proper ordering and stewarding of God's creation and how we need to recapture that. That's one of the, one of the biggest, um, one of our big initiatives at impact campus ministries to work on. So someday we're going to talk about that. We haven't done it on the podcast. We're probably about 200 episodes too late, but, um, we, we will be having that conversation. We have some great friends, by the way, we'll give a little plug, uh, a hundredfold. We got some friends out at a hundredfold They're They're, uh, um, an organization of Christian architects. Uh, and I think of them every time I see Nathaniel's character, and especially in this episode. Because um, we got, I got to join them for one of their gatherings they had, what they call their winter studio, and to hear them talk about how architecture is an act of worship for them. It's not just a nine to five. It's not just, 
you know, it's not just secular work, it's, it's sacred work and it's, it's holy. And man, what a step ahead that group is. So pretty cool. If you're an architect out there, you could look them up, get connected. Pretty great, pretty great crew out there. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes if anyone's interested. Woo-hoo! So then we have big James and he's asking about Zechariah 14, where the, the nations come into Jerusalem and, uh, and then it says that they are celebrating Sukkot. And he's like, what in the world is going on here? Gentiles sitting at the same table with us celebrating the same feast as us. What is going on? Uh, which like, man, what a, what a great, great question. And to bring the text into it and yep. mm, mm. And Jesus response, something will have to change. Mm-hmm. This is crazy. And he just has a smirk on his face, like something. And obviously you could see that smirk with a whole bunch of cheese. I, I prefer not to. I, I see it with like Jesus saying, yes, this is a really good question. And I could just tell you the answer, but I also know as rabbi, you're not ready for that yet. So that thing that's going to have to change is going to also have to do with you disciples. <laughs> it's not just the world that needs to change, but so there's a lot that's going to need to change. So I, I really, and then he just reiterates through that conversation. Jesus keeps talking about everyone being a part, everyone being invited, everyone, and all the comments that get made, and and the disciples are picking up on it, which I also love. It's not like they're just dumb and not like they instigated the conversation. They picked up on that theme. They continue to ask him about it. They hear him talking about it. I just love that. It's great, great part of the episode. Well, and I did not read that smirk as cheesy at all. And as we discussed recently on Slack with some people, I am very sensitive to cheese. So, <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, no, the 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 acting is just superb. I cannot. I cannot say enough about it. Um, so then we see Simon and John, Simon, Peter and John come to Jesus um, and warn him about Shmuel. And Jesus is like, well, I'm going to Jerusalem tomorrow. Why don't you guys come along with me and, uh, and maybe bring Matthew too. It'll be good for him. And <laughs> I'm thinking like, yeah, and it'll be good for Simon and John to have to spend some time with Matthew. <laughs> That's right. Uh, sneaky, sneaky rabbi. I love it. Um, so then we're back to Simon the Zealot and he's standing in a small, small crowd, um, listening to someone reading and the reading happens to be Zephaniah three. We're back to that. Um, the, uh, and this is, this is that text. Um, so there's not a whole lot going on in what the zealots are reciting previously. But then that passage goes on and says, I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. So we've got, we've got the festival theme. We've got the Roman oppression theme and we've got the healing of the the rescuing at least of the lame. Um, which all fits perfectly into this episode. And he seems to like not want to hang around and listen to that. He kind of turns around and walks away from the group as they're finishing up like, Oh, mm-hmm. yep. And the, the subtitles misattributed the passage to Zechariah rather than Zephaniah, which I thought was funny. Um, he does actually say Zephaniah, but then the subtitles got it wrong. So whoops. Um, so then we have Simon, uh, he goes up on, on the wall and he's looking out at the, the men who've been crucified. And I was thinking as I watched that, that he's thinking like, Oh, those dirty Romans are persecuting our people and I'm about to get them. Um, 
but Dallas was saying, you know, the other side of that perspective is he was looking at them and considering like, okay, am I really willing to go through with what I'm about to do at risk of having that happen to me? Yep. So, and it's probably a little bit of both, I would imagine. Yeah, you definitely could see that. I took it more uh, the way that Dallas portrayed it, but yeah, how could it not be a little bit of everything? Yeah. Uh, And I'm mostly basing that off of the... Uh, the opening montage where he sees the the oh, Romans sure. just yeah. Yeah, yeah, senselessly yeah. Yep. beating up on people in the streets. Yep, yep. And that's kind of like where where it seems like he decides he's going to commit his life to doing something about that. I don't know. Yep. Um. So then we see Si or uh, rather Jesus walking with Simon and Matthew and John, and they're discussing the pool of Bethesda and all of the meaning behind it and the origins of it and whatever. They just nailed it. By the way, man, they yeah. nailed it. I was just like so. <laughs> History of the pool is pagan. The, the-, the theory about hot vapor, which is totally connected. He- they even talked about Asclepius. Yeah. Brent Billings. Yeah. I was just so like, wow. <laughs> like they they nailed like every piece of context that Bema talks about in session four. And I was like, man, the day I'm just blown away. This whole season will continue to just blow my mind with the the historical work they've done that they I keep expecting them to like let their foot off the gas and just kind of like start to coast and they don't they don't have to do this and they continue to just bring in great historical context that is in my opinion super accurate and I love it. They have done their homework, no question. Um so then as they're walking into town Jesus sees the uh the place of crucifixion there and he kind of slows down and and kind of, you know, has a little bit of a, a an emotional moment, um, which I, I think would be true of anyone walking in. Um, but obviously we have some, we have some, uh, foreknowledge of what Jesus is looking forward to, um, looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, not exactly how I should probably phrase that. Um, so then we see this man of some sort of wealth, uh, wandering around the market and Atticus finds him and he's like, what, what are you doing coming here looking like a senator? Like you're drawing all the attention to us. And uh, apparently this guy is one of the handlers for the magistrate. And Atticus is explaining the plot and uh, Atticus is kind of telling him he's an idiot because he doesn't mix up the routine of this guy. Um, he's like, well, you know, he wants what he wants. And he's like, well, that's fine. Just do everything that you're going to do. I'll be there and I'm going to kill Simon in the act. And they're not going to be able to lift him up as some sort of martyr or anything like that, um, which is pretty, pretty devious and would probably have worked if, if, uh, <laughs> if Simon had carried, carried out with it in the end. Yeah. And it depicts the problem, the zealot problem, right? And this isn't to just throw zealots under the bus. Um, everybody's got their pros and their cons that they're bringing to the table and things that they struggle with and whatever. But I mean, that's the problem with redemptive violence, um, is it can always be answered with simply more redemptive violence and no matter how sneaky, no matter how, whatever, it's just going to be met by a counter, like a counter move by the other side. And it will always be a, a vengeance oriented. So I, I really liked that exchange because I thought it depicted, yep, this is the nature of things. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And at the end of the day, it's just violent. The myth of redemptive violence. Yep. And and it always escalates. Like there's this idea of like a proportional response and that that can go back and forth for a while, but eventually somebody's going to escalate and then yep. eventually it's just total destruction, you know? So yep. yeah, it never, it never ends well. Um, 
So then Simon goes to the pool and finds Jesse, um, who has apparently been waiting there for 25 years. And this time you're saying Simon the Zealot, Simon Z. Yes, Simon the Zealot. Um, And he talks about how the Zealots forbid them being at the pool because it's a cult. And Jesse's like, well, you're in your own cult. (laughs) Um, Right. But also, if they're forbidding it, like, why is he there now? Is it just because, like, I don't know, I guess because the guy previously mentioned his brother and he just couldn't get it off of his mind. And he's like, well, I need to go. He says later in the conversation, he's like, you know, I didn't say goodbye the right way last time. So I need to do it this time. Um, but they're arguing, they're each quoting their passages. Uh, Simon, Simon's like, yeah, there's a time for everything. Quoting Ecclesiastes. Uh, the conversation does not go well. <laughs> and Jesse, Jesse's like, you left me. You left all of us. I left you to save you. Do I look saved to you? And it's just like, oh man, like, yep. yeah, yeah. He needed, he needed his brother, and now here he is, um, waiting with no one to help him. Um, not, not that he even needs his brother to help him into the pool, but just he needed his brother, uh, you know, as a companion, as an encouragement, as whatever. Like he needed his brother in that way, and and. uh and he was left. So, um, Jesse tries to convince Simon. He's like, I know, I know you're here to do something. Please don't do it. And, uh, and, and Jesse reads his own, um, his own note back to him. He'd kept the note from all those years ago, um, including the passage from Zephaniah three in the note. And, uh, Simon just kind of turns his back to him and, and listens for a moment, but says goodbye and he leaves. And then uh, Simon goes to meet the other zealots, and he's looking really distracted. He he says, <laughs> they're like, hey, hey, what's going on here? And uh, he's like, oh, sorry, I'm just really focused. It's like uh, <laughs> the exact opposite of that. And uh, he kind of gets himself together, changes his clothes, gathers his weapon, tucks it in, uh, which I feel like the the dagger was not hidden particularly well inside of his clothing. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I I just feel like he was being maybe a little sloppy, obviously, because, you know, he's doesn't have his, he's not focused like he said he was. Any any comments on any of that part before I move into the the last uh, big scene? Not in that scene. I think it was just more of the, uh, yeah, great depiction of the zealots. I love how they're working at the end of the drama. I'm good. I like it. Okay. So then we have Jesus arriving at the pool and he looks around and he's like, oh, there's my guy. He's been here a really long time. (laughs) Oh, his quote. I got his quote. Here's his quote. That's him. Oh. Him. The one who's been here the longest. What doesn't belong. I thought, what a great. Because, man, just what a great line. Because he's been here for, he'll, he'll say in the episode, 25 years, he's off, he's struggled with his condition. The text tells us 38 years, whatever, however long he sat there, years and years and years. And my mind would look at somebody like that and be like, well, they've been here so long, they've obviously learned how to belong. And Jesus doesn't see it that way. He sees through it. And he says, here's somebody who's been here longer than anybody else. And he doesn't belong here. And I loved that line. It's really great. Yeah, I assume that the math is that he was uh, whatever age he was. Because he says he was almost 40 or he says, or Simon says he's almost 40. Um, Yeah, because, yeah, if he's, well, um, right. Yeah. 
Yep. No, you're right. So because they depicted him being paralyzed as a young boy before Simon was even born. So then that, you know, 13 years plus the 25 at the pool or whatever. So I think the math works out. Yep. Um, so Jesus walks up to him and uh, passes a group of Pharisees on the way over and acknowledges them. Uh, and Yanni's in that group. Shmuel is assumedly still off in the market <laughs> preaching. Uh, but Yanni's there along with a, a few other guys. And then um, and I, I, I am wondering, like, why why were the Pharisees actually there? <laughs> um, and Dallas theorized uh, in his video, like, oh, maybe they were maybe they were kind of like beat cops, just kind of hanging around waiting for somebody to break the law well and see that's where yeah that's a i didn't even think about that question that's a great question if it's the actual pool of bethesda it's much more it's much more palatable for me if it's this just this pagan site pool as they're depicting it uh, i don't think they'd be there being beat cups that's not the be beat cups in a lot of other places that would make a whole lot more sense if they're wanting to encourage people to not break shabbat um however if if it's the pool of Bethesda as we understand it, I mean that was that wasn't just a it was a pagan location. It was also not a pagan location. It was where the priests would come and clean the sacrifices, and uh, they would wash the sheep for sacrifice in the pools of Bethesda. So there would have been a lot of Jewish, and it's not that the area would have been unclean, and so you would have had, especially I I kind of I don't know if I have anything to back this up historically. I have always assumed that Pharisees would have congregated where the Judean like priesthood would have done their work so that they could have like overseen it from their perspective and made sure that their laws were followed, not just the Judean worldview. And um, then, then it totally makes sense to me that you have Pharisees there, maybe just, you know, watching the similar to the Christmas episode we did where we, we, we said maybe there's Pharisees checking the sacrifices according to their own laws and understandings before they take them to the priests. Um, that kind of idea uh, that make, that would make total sense to me. Yeah. So then Jesus is talking with Jesse and, uh, you know, is asking him, you know, do you want to, do you want to be healed? And Jesse goes in to explain like, uh, I've been here for a long time. I don't have anybody to help me. Are you going to help me? I love that Jesus is asking for permission, by the way. I love Oh sure. Not that that will be the case in every single healing everywhere. That's not some consistent, but especially in the world we live in today, the fact that Jesus would take the time to ask him, "Is this something that you want? And is it something you're willing for me to do?" I, I did because that's the tone I hear him. I hear him say it in in the episode. But yeah, yeah, definitely agree. And he, you know, he's saying like, "Look, Jesse, you you know that this pool is not what you're looking for. This is not." This does not have anything for you. And, uh, and then brings it back around and, and, uh, ask the question again, do you want to, do you want to be well? And, uh, and John sort of, um, gets that, uh, something crazy is happening and pulls out his book to start writing, which I thought I always love when John's writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, but then, uh, Jesse starts laughing and, uh, and John's just writing furiously. The Pharisees are starting to take notice of what's going on. And and uh, Jesse's like slapping his legs and stuff. And then he he stands up. I, I do love the, um, when he, right, right before that healing takes place, the conversation they're having. Like, obviously, the, the, the way they've chosen to portray it here in the episode does take more of, I think, back to our episode with Kevin 
and his take and how he hears it versus how I always assumed. And I had always assumed kind of like more of a, he's just got excuses, you know, he's, and they take more of that line as far as like, he's got, but it's not heavy handed. It's not like he's just full of excuses and just, you know, this lazy handout, like, like it's, it's very much, he's got this experience, which Jesus doesn't in his response, he doesn't devalidate. Like, he's not like, no, that's a bad. He simply says, I know that he he simply, he, he essentially alludes to, I know others have let you down. And I would parenthetically say, and they will continue to do so. I'm asking you right now about me and you. I know that God's people haven't shown up. I know that your brother has let you down. I know that the Jewish community has whatever, but but I'm asking about me and you. And I thought, what a great moment in that episode where so many of us have experienced similar things and Jesus wouldn't devalidate that. He would say, I know, I know what you've been through. I know it's been super hard. I, I know that other people haven't treated you well. What I want to know right now is is about me and you and what's that look like. And I, I loved that moment. Yeah, so so Jesse is standing and then at this point and uh he goes and picks up his mat, the Pharisees come over and start talking about that. Which I love. They just saw like what they just witnessed. Yep. And, and they come what, over and they're that's immediately what John like, is arguing with them about. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. They're like, Oh, the mat. I'm all I'm all obsessed. They just saw this dude stand up and maybe they didn't realize it was the same guy. Maybe they don't know his thirty eight year story. But that and the thing that they want to and we talked about this in our episodes that's the thing they want to hone in on. Like, that's the thing that they... Well, yeah, I think if these are Pharisees, they're not going to typically be in Jerusalem um, so much that they would know him particularly well, I don't think. Well, yeah, could be. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, there would definitely be Pharisees that would be in the South stationed there. I kind of like how the episodes do it where they go there for like, almost like they're stationed there for a season. Hmm. They're going to go spend some time down there, maybe for the festivals. Um, so it's not their headquarters, but... Um, I would imagine they're probably down there for a good chunk of time. Yeah. I think they also maybe insinuate that he was a plant, that he wasn't actually. Oh, sure. But, uh, you know, John's arguing with Yanni about this uh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and, right. uh, turns out Jesus has already disappeared. And, uh, Matthew is like, John, we got to get out of here. <laughs> and so they leave and, uh, and then Jesse's like, yeah, do whatever you want. I'll report this. I don't care, but I'm going to go find my brother. So he runs off. And I love that they... I did, again, I was just floored that the chosen did this when they're discussing it. And is it Matthew that asks about breaking Shabbat? And John answers, "They haven't broken Shabbat. They've broken their oral tradition." He just so cleanly, oh yeah, clearly and directly states one of like our biggest arguments <laughs> that we make in session three yep. and session four, but session three about the difference between the Torah and Torah observance and halakha and oral traditions. And that's not, that oral tradition is all bad, it, but I love that he made such a clean distinction. I, I just was like, I can't believe they said that. So great. Yeah. Oh man, I just love John so much for so many reasons. Um, so yeah, so then uh, we see Simon is working to enact his plan. Um, more subtle visual effects in this uh, in this scene where they... Um, where they just made this market more um, immersive and more distinctive, um, which I thought was fun uh, for the visual effects nerds out there. And then um, right at the last moment, like everything, everything's happening. Everybody's coming into place. 
all the pieces are in place. And then Simon sees Jesse walking and just like freezes and goes off and finds him. And all the other zealots are like, what just happened? We were right there. We almost had this thing done. And then they kind of scatter. And then um, Jesse turns around and, and sees Simon and they embrace and Atticus is watching this whole thing go down um, from beyond the the burning cart. You know, that fire they started as a diversion is still happening. And Atticus is standing behind it like, what what just happened? Like, I know these people. Like, they don't just abandon their plans like this. So right. he's confused. Everyone, everyone's overwhelmed. And then, uh, and then, yeah, as they're leaving the city, Matthew and uh, Matthew's asking Jesus... Um, why didn't you wait until after Shabbat to heal him? Like he's been waiting for so long. He could have waited another 30 minutes. And Jesus says, you know, sometimes you have to stir up the water. And then he kind of walks off with a smirk. Slow motion mic drop moment. Yeah. Good stuff. Good, good, uh, good end of the episode, man. There you go. That was another good one. Another good one. Another good one in season two. Yeah, long episode. Uh, not as long on the Bama side for once. All right. <laughs> we came Success. in shorter shorter than the runtime of the uh, chosen episode. So uh, I'll give ourselves a, you know, little trophies for that. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. And you can find more details about the show at BayamonEstablishment.com. Check out the show notes. Uh, we reference back to, you know, if, you, if you've if you jumped ahead and you're listening to these episodes on The Chosen, uh, we're doing we're going through the Gospel of John verse by verse right now. And so go back and check out episode 261 where we talk about this story. Um, that's definitely, definitely a fun conversation. And then, uh, of course, 100-fold studio for all the architects out there. And then uh, cohort Urbane. Do some investigation on that for all the Roman history nerds. So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast this week. We will talk to you again soon. 